Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Joe Rare. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. So why don't we start off the show with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Oh, man, who am I? Um, well, I'm a family guy. Got a couple kids and my wife and our dogs and chickens and everybody out here and in Montana. Um, I, you know, really into the outdoors and, and, you know, I'm a snowmobile guy. So in the winter, I try to snowmobile every day and as much as, as much as possible. Uh, business wise, I own a few businesses. One of them is uh, Level 9 Virtual, which is a virtual assistant services company. And that one is really the core business that provides the leverage to create freedom uh, in my business, in my life and allow, you know, me to have a team that actually operates my companies, which gives me the free time to, uh, go snowmobiling. <laughs> so, uh, how I got there is a long story, but, um, I've always been an entrepreneur, uh, my entire life. And it's, uh, I, I can't imagine a, a different path in life other than entrepreneurship. So that's how I ended up there. Yeah. I, I love that. Absolutely love that. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times you hear the stories where people, oh, I was working somewhere and my boss, uh, you know, cheated me like cat crap and I got laid off and I said, I had enough and I'm just going to do something for myself. And, right. you know, you like, usually hear those stories. I mean, so and I know there's a lot of people that were natural entrepreneurs like from day one. I mean, I'm one of them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of refreshing to come across that because I mean, you always hear those naturals and then it, it, you know, you don't come across many of them. So it's like right. well, when you do, it's like, okay. So, uh, you know, you had that natural instinct. So, yeah, awesome. definitely. Awesome. Now, you said you have multiple businesses, right? Like, Correct. You currently have multiple? Like, how many in total? Yeah. So, well, I think we have uh, five. They're all digital based businesses, nothing brick and mortar, um, but five companies that we're operating right now. Plus, um, I'm a partner in some wedding venues as well. And then um, our, we have real estate, rental real estate. Ah, interesting. That's very yeah. interesting. The uh, Yeah. So like, okay, so why so many businesses? Like how, how did that transform? Oh, like, man. It's always, uh, you know, so I, I always like to tell a story, you know, one problem that you solve creates a new one. And so this, this cyclical, you know, um, situation where you create, you solve a problem with a business, with a service, and then you create a new problem for somebody else somewhere, somewhere else. So one business kind of led to another. And, um, so we just kind of go, okay, well, this is a huge service that we could provide. It doesn't really fit under the umbrella of this other business. It doesn't really align, but it's a huge issue that somebody's having over here. We can provide a solution for that. And so we, that's kind of how we keep solving, you know, essentially I feel like we're just constant problem solvers. All we do is go, Hey, there's a need in the market. We feel like we could provide a solution. And so let's go ahead and build a business around it. Uh, and so last year we launched two new companies and, um, in the same year, which was not the, not, not the best idea, but it worked out. And, uh, and then we've had, you know, the three other companies for quite a few years now. Right, right, right. So, uh, so the virtual company, is that the newest one or, the, or is no, that? No, that's one of the older ones. Yeah. So we've been running that. I want to say we launched in 2015 or 16, somewhere around there. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. 2015, 16, that's around the same time that I got my realtor's license. So it's ironic. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So it uh, coincides there. <laughs> yeah. Um, my question is, though, what made you get into virtual? Like, why this business? So I've always had virtual assistants. So I hired my first virtual assistant in November of 2008. And I've had a team working with me every single day since. Um, and one day, one of my internal team members came to me and said, hey, we've got people asking constantly 
how do you hire virtual assistants? How do you train them? How do you manage them? And, and, and so forth. And I used to just tell people, Hey, here's what I do. Go do it. And one of my VAs at the time, who was my operations director, she came and said, Hey, you know that you're giving up a lot of revenue if we just built a virtual assistant services company. And I said, well, like what, what do you mean? And she gave me some numbers and I was like, dang, that's a real business. You know, with just the number of people that we gave away that could have been clients. So we ended up building the business so that we could serve our own clients. That was the reason I had a marketing agency and I wanted to be able to provide service to our clients that, that didn't fit in the, it, it right underneath um, our existing marketing agency well. And so I felt like virtual assistants and then the marketing space were different. And then they ended up kind of colliding later, but that's how we ended up starting it. And the business was literally with the only clients we had were existing clients from our agency. And that was it. And so then from there, it was like, well, um, I hadn't, you know, my agency was us based. We had a lot of, uh, us employees. We had a big office space and then, um, closed that down and ended up moving into a very digital VA only run agency working only with wedding venues. And so when I relaunched that agency and we scaled, we went basically from zero to about $109,000 a month in four months. I went, I could do the same thing with the VA company. Cause right now we're not really doing anything other than serving our own clients. So I said, okay, let's go and, and actually scale that. And so then that business exploded and that was, that was the biggest business we had. So interesting. Now we're okay. So you, 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 you had a brick and mortar business in a sense, not a brick and mortar. Well, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, not in the sense that it was retail or anything like that, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely somewhat brick and mortar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you end up closing that? Like, what was the motivation for that? Like we, we lost, so we had two clients that were responsible for approximately 40% of all of our, uh, top line revenue. And we lost both of them in about two weeks, just kind of randomly. Um, one company was acquired. Um, the other one took the service that we were providing in-house and they didn't need us, but they were the biggest bulk. That was a huge bulk of our revenue. And so when I find, when we realized that after months and months and months going to reacquire and, and make up that difference, business development wasn't doing business development. They weren't performing. Um, we weren't catching up. I was taking on a bunch of debt to pay payroll. Mm. And so, um, really, I mean, kind of the, the backstory is I have a, uh, he's a good friend of mine now. He was kind of a mentor back then. He said, Hey, close your agency down. I already went through that. It's nothing but trouble ahead. Go close it down. Um, I didn't listen to him. Well, and then I saw that his business in about a six month or seven month window while I was still struggling and I was taking on debt and we were barely, you know, limping by, he went from about 60,000 a month in top line revenue to 400,000 a month in the, in that window. I accumulated more debt and I didn't actually gain anything. And so I turned to him, I saw him interviewed, um, in like a testimonial podcast thing. And, and I said, Hey, like, what did you do? And he texted me back. And the only thing he said was, you didn't listen to me, did you? And I'm like, no, I didn't. So a couple, within a couple days, I ended up, we ended up firing everybody, closing down the business. And I said, okay, I'm going to restart. And his advice to me was one, one niche, one service, and just do it better than everybody else. And so I said, but I don't know who, I don't know what niche, like, I don't know what to do from here. Right. We used to do everything for everybody, which means that nobody's your customer. If everybody's your customer, nobody's your customer. And so I was like, well, who do I choose? And he, he, another great piece of advice. He said, if some, if every one of your clients called you on a Sunday, when you're with your kids, who would you answer the phone for? And there was one client and he happened to be a wedding venue owner. And I realized the reason 
number one, he was kind of, he was a friend of mine, but secondly, he wouldn't be calling me because of a fire because we were doing so well for him. And so it was like, okay, we're really good at what we do for that niche. Let's go all in on that niche. And so we did. And then that was it. That was the one niche, one service for that niche. We did it better than anybody else. And we were able to blow up a business and it was awesome. Amazing. 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 Yeah. Like I think that, uh, that's the one problem everybody has. Everybody has an idea. They have this business thought and they're going to be everything for everybody. They're going to be a rock star for everybody and they're going to do everything. Yeah. And yeah, it, like you learn very quickly that it doesn't uh, go very well. There's a lot of fears in trying to niche down. Let's be honest. There is absolutely. It's hard for people, but if you think about it, you can be better and better and better and charge higher prices if you're the best for something very narrow. So like even, you know, I even look and say, well, we're wedding venues, right? Um, but if, if I were to niche it down, I would say wedding venues that are not hotels as an example, right? Because the hospitality piece of like the hotel structure doesn't work exactly for what we do. That means that the wedding venue part of the hotel has to be a separate kind of entity. Like it almost needs to be its own service that isn't connected to the hotel. Because if we can't directly market for just that, and it's kind of this big broad based marketing thing, like it doesn't really work with the hotel thing. So we could even say, well, Hey, we like independently owned wedding venues, right? Not the Hilton's we've done business with tons of Hilton locations, probably 60 or 70 of them. Um, independent venue owners get better results out of it. That's just a fact. So it could be independent. Like we could have narrowed down our niche from wedding venues, which is one segment of the wedding industry, right? Cause you got venues, vendors, right? You have all these, we could have even niched down within the niche of venues even further and probably solidified that market even more. Right. So niching down is the way to go. Riches are in the niches. So I firmly believe that we've done it over and over. Even the virtual assistant company, our focus has been marketing services for small businesses. So we don't do operation stuff. We don't do like back of the house stuff. We focus on the marketing side. Interesting. Now, again, why was it important for you to open up the virtual company? Because let's be honest, I, I like, you know, like I like going to banks, right? And I, and I use the bank a lot, but I'm not opening my own bank. Well, it was, it was a need that we were already solving at a small scale. And I realized that the demand was only going to grow. Um, you know, virtual assistants were only getting more and more popular in 2016, 2017, and so forth. They were only, you know, more and more people were just beginning to use them. They were becoming more mainstream. And I knew that it was just going to continue to to grow. We could serve a very specific need in a market and we could do it really well. And, um, and it, you know, if I could basically just teach people the model that had worked for me, then, you know, we could, we could have success with it. And so there was it was kind of an argument. There was no reason not to. Right. And the way that I got to that point was leverage. I wasn't going to operate the virtual assistant company. The VAs were. So what difference does it make if I launch the business or don't? I'm not running it. So it doesn't take my time. It doesn't take my focus. Other people are running the business. All I have to do is strat strat strategically advise the, the group. Here's where the company needs to go. Here's the steps that we need to use to get there. I'm going to allocate capital for the, for us to execute that. Now go do your thing. And then everybody went, they executed their steps. We get to the next phase. Okay, great. Let's, let's, let's assess where we are. Let's set our new, our, our new objectives. What are we trying to do next? And that's how we operate the company still to this day. Right. That makes sense. Except it 
sounds easy and i'm willing to bet it's really not that easy <laughs> of course not <laughs> right like well, so when you, you fail to... enough times you figure out what works and what doesn't and then you don't have to go make the same mistakes over and over and now i'm not making the exact same mistakes because i already failed 50 50 times right and i've already got that you know that scar so i know now what not to do so we can just go focus on doing what we should be doing and the failure side of it is where most people are afraid. They're afraid to fail. But if we hadn't failed, if my team doesn't continue to fail, they don't continue to progress and innovate and, and grow. So failure is important. It's necessary. I was going to say, here's a new business idea for you. You can start a coaching business, not teaching <laughs> what to do, but teaching what, <laughs> what not, not to do. do. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, that's, that's the value in coaches in general, right? Is coaches probably did all of the heavy lifting and all the failing and everything else. So you go to them to cut the corner. And that's, that's what a coach should be is a coach should be somebody that you literally just get to cut off all of that learning and you can jump ahead to where they can guide you from that point forward. They already made the mistakes. You don't need to make them because I'm going to tell you not to, I'm going to tell you what you don't need to do, but here's how we're going to move you from this point forward. Yeah. Makes sense. So, okay. Going back to the virtual thing, right? Like, so what, what was the, uh, mistakes that, uh, you, you've uncovered in the beginning? Cause I mean, you set it up so that uh, you were going to provide equity and somebody else was going to run the business. Um, and usually on the surface, that sounds like a terrible idea. And I'm sure you can <laughs> uh, understand as to why, right? It's sort yeah. of like, here, here's an idea. You do it. Um, there's so many things that could go wrong and I'm sure a lot of things went right, but I'm sure there were things that went wrong where you learned along the way. What were some of those mistakes? Some of the mistakes are just how we, how we service clients and how we actually focus on, on customer, how we communicate with customers, how we communicate with our internal team that evolved over and over again, which, you know, which project management platforms do we use? What internal communication channels do we use so that we can keep things organized? Um, how do we even structure our email system so that we're all leveraging the right platforms that work within other systems? And all of those things were huge failures because it's like cost money over here when we screwed up, cost money again, cost money again, change platforms, which cost time and money, um, you know, losing clients because we weren't doing a good job communicating, you know, with them. Uh, you know, a, a lot of that was a huge thing, but one of the biggest challenges that, that we've overcome has been how we, uh, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to explain it is, um, it's, it's, it's within our internal team and how we progress people through their career. And so if you're going to build an organization and you're going to have other people running it, or you're going to run it yourself, but you're going to build teams of, of people, you have to understand where people's motivations are. Where are they trying to get to? One of the hardest things to realize is that not everybody's supposed to stay with your company forever. And you have an, oppor you, you have an opportunity to play a huge role in the rest of their life and how they get to live out the rest of their life, or you can squander their growth and try to save them and keep them with your business. It's really, really difficult to prepare somebody to leave your company. That's unbelievably hard. And we've had it happen many times where it's, it's not the right fit. There's nowhere for somebody to go within our company. So why would they want to stay? So the only thing that we could do is say, hey, let's leverage their talent as far as we could take it within our company. Let's prepare them by giving them the experience that, hey, it's going to be a rough world out there. Get ready, right? And then position them to be able to move on and, and grow in their role, go somewhere else and do, do things elsewhere. That's a really, really difficult thing for people to, to understand is that not everybody's supposed to stay with you forever. Not every relationship is supposed to last a lifetime. It's just not. That's really hard. Well, let's be honest. 
People do not like change. They do not like uh, adapting to things. They want to do the same thing over and over and over. The only thing they want changing is the results and usually in a positive way. But we know that's yeah. not how it happens. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you're, if you're doing the same way thing over and over and over and over, you're not even staying the same. You're either in life, you're either growing or dying. And more than likely, if you're just repeating everything over and over and over with no adjustments, no improvements, no learning, you're probably yeah. dying and don't even realize it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's tough for people, and uh, especially when it comes down, and it affects you financially, and you realize that hey, there's going to be a cost to that person leaving. There's going to be a cost to making this change in the business, and that cost isn't going to be good now. And very few people have the ability to project forward and future pace what it means by making the change. We had, you know, as an example, we had um, somebody very important to the company um, leave. Well, it's been almost two years now, but, or a year and a half or so, whatever, but had somebody, had somebody leave the company because I did a poor job of understanding where that person's role was supposed to go. And I tried to force her into a position that I thought was best for her. I thought, Hey, let's move you up into this executive level role. This is going to be a great thing for you, for your family and so forth. But she didn't have the skill set nor the capacity, even in her mind to hold that position. And I couldn't figure out why there was so much friction in the transition and we couldn't figure it out. And then one day she was gone and it was like, oh my God, I did that. I did that because I didn't recognize what her needs were and I didn't understand it. And, but that person leaving while chaotic in the moment turned out to be this unbelievable benefit to every single person that was in the company and that has come into the company since it's been unbelievably valuable that that person chose to leave because I mean, to watch people blossom and flourish and step into new positions because they felt the, the, the necessary, the need to do it has been crazy. And so it's been really interesting to watch how I caused friction and caused a problem. And then once it resolved itself, everybody else made the business better. It was, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been a huge lesson for me. What I love about that statement there is that you take responsibility, right? A lot of people would rather spend their time finding fault through others, you know, and bl- find other, other places to put their blame. And true leadership comes by realizing and understanding that the first error comes from yourself, right? Sure, somebody, yeah, because somebody else could have done something wrong. And yes, but why did they do it wrong? Well, maybe because you put them in a spot they shouldn't have been in. Maybe you didn't train them properly. Maybe you weren't clear on what you explained. Maybe you put them in at the wrong time, whatever it is. Or maybe they shouldn't be in that space at all. Right. And you should have gotten rid of them. I mean, there's so many things. Of what you chose. Yeah. The, the entrepreneur, the easiest, the easiest way to succeed as an entrepreneur is to realize that every single thing that happens under the roof of your company is your fault everything. So even if you have nothing to do with a part of the business, it's your fault. If you own the company, it's your fault, period. And as soon as you accept that responsibility and you act from that place, everybody's respect for you changes and the results that you can get out of things are faster. Because while you're sitting around as somebody who's going to say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was that person's fault. You're trying to figure out what why it's somebody else's fault versus nope, it's mine. It's mine. I got it. So now let's go. Great. I took the blame. Now, how do we move forward? How do we adjust so that that person doesn't make that mistake again? Right. And so we have that opportunity as entrepreneurs. A lot of people don't like being at fault. They don't like it to be their fault. No, exactly. It's really hard. 
So what's the benefit of uh, like, look, you operate virtual assistants, your service is virtual assistants. Now, what's the benefit of having virtual assistants versus having traditional employees? Well, there's two parts to it. There's cost leverage, right? So it's less expensive. Um, if you were to hire somebody for, you know, I, I love to tell this story. My lead developer on my team has a master's degree and he's a professor at a university. I'm a college dropout. He's way more educated than me and he knows his stuff better than anybody that I could hire in the US for a fraction of the cost. Now, not to say he doesn't get paid well and take care of his family exceptionally well, he does. But if I were to have to pay somebody in the US or in Canada the same rate, it would change the dynamic and the opportunity of our business, right? Right. And so this is why traditional type businesses run on such thin margins. I mean, labor is one of the most expensive parts of your business. And for us, it is too. It's just different in how we charge, right? We charge less. We still have to pay you know, good wages and so forth. But so for our end client though, it's cost leverage. They can pay us a flat rate of you know, $15.50 a month, for example, for a full-time person. Well, it, no matter where else you are, you're in the UK, you're in Canada, you're in the US or something, that might cost you four to 5,000 bucks a month. So you just made, there's huge leverage now in your business. Yeah. Right. So there's that piece of it. Then you can get the same talent or better offshore overseas for way less cost. So you can increase your ability to buy talent for less cost. So it's another, it's another leverage of the cost leverage, but it's the talent acquisition. There's more of them available because there's millions of them available and they're not all vying for jobs at cushy companies. They're looking for careers within companies, they understand you know, what exists when they work virtual. Um, there's huge leverage in that. Um, you can also, on, on the other side, you know, this is again, this kind of leverage is cost as well, but all of a sudden you don't have payroll taxes. You don't have you know, social security tax. You don't, have to, you don't have to match it as an employer. None of those things exist. It becomes a single direct expense of your business. It, it's deductible, that's that. I'm paying for a service and that's that. And it makes things very crystal clear. You also don't, you know, when you use a company like ours, you don't have to worry about HR compliance. We do it. You don't have to worry about you know their their benefits. You don't have to worry about time tracking. You don't have to worry about their vacation. You don't have to worry about any of those things. We we take care of all of it. And so that's one of the reasons is that you just create leverage because you reduce your HR management and, and payroll management. You don't have any of that. It's very very simple. Right. There's many things here that I'm going to come out with here, like in terms of uh, I would say concerns in a sure. way, right? Like if somebody's looking at it and in terms of uh, finding uh, VAs and stuff, right? Like it's, there's, there's a lot of people offering VAs sure. out there. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, like even approaching people directly and everyone's an expert, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like there's also that uh, fear of, and people have had this experience where you, ha where you hire a VA and they're unreliable, yep. right? Um, so my, where I'm going with this is my question to you is that how, you know, I'm sure you've come across a few people that you've uh, maybe used in the past or have had an experience with that. And I'm sure, you know, now that you've been in it longer, you can vet them out a lot quicker. Yep. But what was that experience for you like? Like, how did, how did you determine who was worth their weight in gold and who wasn't? And how, how quick did you realize it? Well, the determination is really tough because a lot of people aren't willing to put their money where their mouth is when they're in the hiring process. Right. And so hiring people, regardless of where you find them, costs money. It costs time and it costs money. What most people are unwilling to do is say, hey, listen, I'm going to go put it, I'm going to go fork out a bunch of money to test a bunch of people and find out who's the best. 
Well, we do that as a, as a company that's part of our, you know, the virtual assistant company, you know, challenge is that we sell two different things. We sell careers to virtual assistants and we sell virtual assistant services to uh, businesses. We have to maintain two different sales models at the same time. We have to have two separate types of customer support or, or customer success. You have to have your, your uh, client success for your clients. You have to have your HR department to manage the success of your, of your virtual assistants. You have dual, everything we do is double. We have to build a reputation in the Philippines where we recruit our, our staff. We have to develop a relationship in the United States and in Canada and then the UK and Australia and everywhere that we serve in those markets. We have double the cost in building two brands across for different reasons, recruiting and sales. And so we've been through, I mean, we're, we've got to be close to 10,000 virtual assistants that we've placed. So with all of that, we've just figured out what to kind of look for with people, what are huge red flags that unfortunately we might miss and say, Hey, this person had this red flag, but maybe they're, they're still okay. And we just pass on them because our history shows that red flag leads to all these other things. It's not even worth going down that, that, you know, going down that path, but we just figured out a lot of things that, Hey, if, if they show signs of X, Y, Z, that's a no. If their experience looks like this, that's a no. Um, if they say something, but we pay them to do tasks and they can't execute them, that's a no, right? We don't, and you know, so we have very, very strict guidelines in getting to work with us in how we train people in what we expect of them. Then you get into the integrity side of things within our company and who they have to represent inside the business. If they're not a team player with everybody else, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of other teammates. You know, when they're not a teammate to 400 people down the line, they're not going to be a good person to give to a client. So we really, really expect a high level of value, integrity, and, and excellent skill set before we'll hire somebody. We are, I am willing to invest that amount of resources to figure that out ahead of time because I know the cost down the line is exceptionally higher if we don't do it up front. Now, the funny part is, is even in, you know, anywhere in the world, when people hire people, they won't do all of that work because it costs money. So they'll hire somebody, find out it's bad, fire them, start all over again. And that cost is just, it's exorbitant. I would rather do it for people on the front end. You don't have to figure out how to hire the VA. You don't have to figure out how to vet them. You don't have to worry about how to test them and train them and manage them and support them and make sure they have you know, backup power and they have the right internet speed and they have all these things, we do it. And this is what we do on a daily basis. And we're really, really good at it. And that's why you just pay us a little bit extra. Got it. Now, have you ever had the issue where uh, you hire a VA and someone's on your team, but they get so used to working with a corporation and we're like that one of your clients and they just somehow decide they're going to go direct? It's happened. It's, um, it's something that we really work hard to vet um, contractually with the client contractually with our virtual assistants as well, right? So the VAs are in a contract with us that they're going to work with us. They're not going to work with our clients direct. Um, if they do, uh, the interesting thing is in the Philippines, it's actually, if they break that and it affects the financial, it, it, affect, it, it affects the company in a financial manner, it's actually, uh, it's actually criminal. It's not just like, hey, this is a, this is a dispute. It's actually a crime. Like they could actually do time in jail for that. So the labor board in the Philippines is, is nuts. 
It's really, really crazy. So we have attorneys in the Philippines to protect ourselves on that side. We have attorneys in the US to protect ourselves from clients trying to take VAs. However, I'm a very reasonable person and I will trust anybody if they give me the opportunity to trust them and give them the reason to. With all of our clients, we just offer them a buyout. So look, you love working with your VA, you wanna take them independently. I understand that. You just need to compensate our company for taking the VA private. We have you know, resources invested into this person to bring them in, to manage them, support them. Plus as a company, that's an asset. And we're going to basically give you the opportunity to buy out that asset. But the VA themselves has to agree to it, understanding that they may run into a time where maybe the client, something changes and the client's gonna cut them and say, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna keep you employed anymore. And the VA is gonna go back to zero. Well, if they stay, if the VA stays with our company, the biggest benefit is that they have security. If we, if the client cancels and goes somewhere else and wants to do something else, we just give the VA a new client. They continue to earn a living forever. So that's one of the huge benefits for a VA staying with our company, but it, it is a challenge. You know, there's people who do shitty things out there and there's nothing you can do about it. And you've got to, and the only thing you can do is you can play defense. You can, um, go after them legally, which we've had to do in the past and nobody liked the outcome because we're pretty contractually strong. And so, um, you know, the outcome's dev devastating to people when they, when they pull the trigger. Cause then what happens is the VA loses and they lose because we're going after both sides in court. We're going to go in the Philippine court. Right. We're going to go in the U S court and we're going to go after both. So yeah, pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Which brings up the other thing, right? Like it's, what was I going to say here? Like, like, yeah. So I, I get that part. I mean, and I find that sometimes, uh, you know, like you said, there's always challenges out there. There's always people who are going to try things or think of things, right? But you'll and, see that um, with local people too. You get a, uh, an employee yeah, who tries yeah, to steal true. a client from a, you know, from an employer and they try to take them away. And that, that happens everywhere. So yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of times people work at a company and then all of a sudden they decide they're so good at it, or at least their perception is that they're so good at it, that they're going to start their own business. Yeah. And the first person they go after is their previous employer's We've clients. We've been dealing with that right now consistently. And um, one of the cool things was we actually had that happen. Somebody tried to literally copy our business. They used to work with us. They now are kind of out on their own. They took literally everything like, like verbatim, word for word from our website. Wow. Put it on a new website and then tried to act like we just came up with all this stuff and it just so happens it was word for word. And it's like, oh no, not going to happen. So it was one attorney letter to them. They realized that they're in some deep shit and then they pulled everything offline and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so that's that. Interesting. Yeah, some of the stuff is mind-boggling to me. The whole virtual thing, like, is there any, uh, a lot, uh, the big trend, and it doesn't matter who's doing it, it's because it's the trend and this is the way it's gone. It's gone, it's been like this for the last 30 years, right? Yeah. But there's the uh, whole perception of, uh, you know, companies, you know, where they take pride because they hire locally. Yeah. What's, the, like, there's got to be, like, prime example, running a business, if I ran my whole business on everything's virtual. Yep. There's got to be a stigma in that reputation too, if people know about it. The sti the the stigma is interesting. So I, I I understand, right? U.S. made, U.S. employed, all, all those things, and that's fine. And um, here's the problem: is that two it the United States in many ways, and it depends what state you're in, and, and a lot of different aspects of that. It's very prohibitive for a very new business 
or one that's trying to keep costs down because their margins are small. They're just not a big enough business. Maybe they've been, been in business a long time, but they just don't have margin to hire people. You get minimum wage increases that are skyrocketing. You know, I'm, I'm just outside of Bozeman, Montana is where we live. We live in a small little town outside of Bozeman. There's uh, you can go a starting position at a gas station is 22 to $25 an hour. Wow. You have to have no brains to be able to do that. You don't have to know anything. Taco Bell again, you know, 22 to $25 an hour starting. I, the, there's, there's no possible way that unless those companies are corporate, they're big, they've got money behind them. The average small business can't do it. And so we are an out, we are an avenue that they can, that can be supported. So what would you rather have? Would you rather make sure that everybody is employed, that they're local, or would you rather be happy that somebody local is trying to run a business and then they're leveraging every dollar they have to provide the best service possible? The, the second piece of it is that borders are constructed by man. We're all people. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're in the Philippines, if you're in Mexico, if you're in the US, if you're in Canada, the borders are constructed by men, by people, right? They don't exist if you were to actually think about it as far as two people holding a relationship, providing exceptional service for for customers, doing the right thing and helping a business evolve and, and provide a service and, and solve problems for people who, who need the service. The, the idea of borders is always just an interesting thing to me because I'm like, what border is it? But when I get on a, a Zoom call and I talk to you in Canada, but I'm in the US, what, what, board, yeah, yeah. what border are we breaking through? There isn't one. So the idea of whether you go with a virtual assistant who's outsourced overseas or whatever, or you hire somebody who sits right next to you, the output of what they're supposed to do is probably the same. So if you don't need somebody local right here that is unaffordable for many, many businesses, then you do what you've got to do to operate your company. And if somebody has a problem with it, they're not your customer and that's okay. And there's more people out there. Yeah, that's true. Now I'm going to touch upon another thing, right? Which is in terms of corporate culture. And here's what I mean. And I think every company, you know, since the so-called pandemic or pandemic or whatever the heck that we just went through it uh i think that what it did is like that that whole closure and everything and everything that's changed i don't everyone says oh it's changed everything i don't think it changed everything i think it brought the future today because yeah. i think we were heading to that anyways but where i'm going with this is that with everybody you know working from home it, what happens is that uh, you know a lot of employees think it's great because they don't have to leave their house, they don't have to get dressed, they you know whatever, right? Or they just put on a shirt. Nobody knows what pants they're wearing or not wearing. Um, and there's always that stigma. Now a lot of people think there's no difference and they think they're more productive. And then there's the people that don't believe there's any way possible that they can be productive. But that's negligible, and I think that's case by case. I don't think you can make one statement and it applies to Correct. everybody. But the one thing that is affected and not necessarily in a positive way and this has just been for my observation i don't have any concrete facts um which is that there's a diminished corporate culture through everyone working virtually and nobody having that office environment because there is a little uh you know thing that goes with when you're collaborating with people there's a little creativity that comes from yep. interacting with people sharing ideas that way so I don't know how big or small that factor is, but it is a factor that's been adjusted and not necessarily for the better part. 
What are your thoughts on that part? Well, I think that there's there's definitely some there's definitely a factor of when you get a few people in a room, there's some energy that vibes and it and it moves and it transfers from person to person and you can come up with collaborative ideas. I, I definitely believe that's true. And I know it's true because that's why like when you do masterminds, getting everybody together for a mastermind is so powerful. Um, even the concept, if you go back to the origin of like masterminding and why it's called mastermind, right? Um, it mattered for people to be in the same energetic space and so forth. So 100%, I don't ignore that. What you can do is you can create as much of that as possible by Zoom rooms. You can create as much of that as possible by doing something twice a year where you get everybody together that needs to be collaborative. Or if your company can afford it, every time that there's a gigantic project that needs that collaboration, you get everybody together. The The ability to hop on a plane and be anywhere takes the whole idea that we can't, you know, everybody's virtual and nobody's connected. Okay, so great. So get on a plane and go get connected. If it's necessary, people will do that. That's just how it is. Will people? I don't know. They're going to complain about anything they can complain about. Of course. They're going to, they're going to say it's a problem when maybe it's not. Um, my experience, and the only thing I can do is come from, you know, from my experience, which is that we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of VAs who work with thousands of clients over years. And it's not a, it, the complaint has never been, they're not in the room, so they're not getting the collaboration or they're, you know, that's never been a complaint. That's never come up. I, I can't imagine it's come up one time. I can't think of anything. So I think it's a matter of how do you operate your business? What do you need out of it? If the, if the virtual assistant that you're hiring that happens to be over in the Philippines or something is supposed to be in a room with you, then you shouldn't have the virtual assistant. You should have somebody else. Right. So that's that. And um, yeah. And I mean, I think you, you find a way to adjust, you find a way to do things differently so that you get what you need out of the circumstances that you're in and you get things out of the team that you've built and you maximize their output to the best of your ability and the best of theirs. And that's what you operate from. Or you get everybody on a plane and you meet somewhere if that's necessary. But to say that it's not possible because everybody's virtual, you're just lazy. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. So it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out your version, your view of that office space and right. Cause a lot of like there's, there's different perspectives out there. Some people think that it's unnecessary. Some people like now we have like the big thing out there is hybrid, right? Where people go in a couple of days a week and then they do the rest from home. Um, and now you got investors. Some are leveraging that the office is doom and gloom and it's done for good. Some people uh, believe that it's going to come back and uh, people are going to get a big wake up. Um, what the future holds, I think uh, nobody knows. Um, and, you know, the one aspect that got me thinking that maybe the office might have a uh, resurgence would be because of that corporate structure that I, we were just talking about, not that the community thing that I was talking about. Um, so I found it fascinating and yeah. a more curious thing. Um, and, and, and it's because you're doing virtual, yeah. you're kind of eliminating that portion of it. But I mean, again, I don't believe every company in general is going to have a hundred percent of everybody virtual. I believe there's a place for it. And I believe there's certain places where you do need people in that room. Like you That's said, right. and, and you can, and you can make it a combination of both. And there's no, there's no one answer to it, you know, and there's no only one way. And so that's where I think people need to, people need to calm down and realize like you just do what you got to do for your role, for your business and how it most effectively works for you. If somebody tells me that, well, I can't outsource because this is how we do it. Great. Then don't outsource. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like don't outsource, you know? Um, 
go do things the way you need to do them. If you feel like you have to have an office, right, then do, but you, you know, it's interesting. So we had an office space and I ended up shutting it down and realizing very, very fast, realizing after it was over and we kind of rebuilt the business, like the office space was useless. You know, we built the, we built the space out, glass walls, glass doors, like fancy office, lots of computer equipment and, you know, all this stuff thinking our clients are going to come in and they're going to sit down with us and we're going to hash things out in a conference room. It's going to be awesome. And the reality was almost zero clients came. Like I can maybe remember a couple. And so we have, we have clients all over the country. How were they going to come sit with us? True. Like realistically, no, we're going to get on a zoom call. We're going to chat, you know, however it was that we were chatting back then. And there's zero reason to have this office space because we aren't leveraging it to actually turn a dollar. Like it didn't, the investment into the office didn't equate to more income. And so could we do it with better leverage, no office space and make more money? Well, the business's job is to produce income. Like we need to make money from the business. And if we're not, and we're just spending money, then that's not a good thing. And so I just figured out virtual works for us. And so that's our model. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, was in the marketing industry a long, long time ago as well. And what I observed in terms of the office, because mine was pre-Zoomed, like we're talking about, I sold my business. It was an eight-figure business and I sold it in 2007. So I'm dating it. (laughs) Um, But my experience with the whole office thing is, other than the initial meet and, or if there was an emergency where they uh, were, you know, other than initial meet or an emergency, Right. I never saw the clients. You saw them the first time you made the deal, they signed the contract, and then you wouldn't see them again unless there was an emergency. Yep, that's right. And uh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So the office was really more how it, where people were working at. And now today with the internet, it doesn't matter if they're in your cubicle or that's their right. own cubicle at home. I just, yeah, we for, for what we do, again, this is me speaking for me, for what, what we and our clients do as an example, we just don't need the office space. Every single thing can be done virtually. Makes sense. Now, let's talk about customer acquisition, right? Because it's not like you're going to wake up in the morning, set up a website, and then go back to sleep, and the website's going to do all the work. It's uh, like, what's your process? Like, like, how did you start the acquisition? How did you start? I mean, we do do multiple aspects. So we do cold outreach, uh, cold email, um, you know, cold calling. We've done, you know, pretty much all of that. Social media outreach, everything. Um, We... We're in the, in the beginning, you know, we, we leveraged reputations with uh, channel partners. And so we would meet people who had similar, who had the audience we wanted, but they did something different. And we figured out a way to be partners with them and work together. And um, our clients could leverage their services. Their clients could leverage our services. Channel partnerships have been probably the most valuable to us over the years. Um, we probably get more business from channel partners than anything else, uh, aside from client referrals and so forth. And, absolutely. and so, you know, then of course it's, it's pretty easy. You want to sell your service, go run ads, you run ads, you get people to your website or your landing page or your funnel and so forth and give away some value, ask them for a call or a, a sale and, and off to the races. So, I mean, we kind of touch on everything. I don't think there's one sim, you know, one easy way to acquire a bunch of customers. It's kind of a combination of it all. Right, which makes sense. And I like that channel partners thing, right? Because in a sense, it's a warm lead. A hot lead. In a sense, yeah, right? Because it's, it's one of those things that uh, just through collaboration and integration, like people who are looking at you are looking at you because they're looking Correct. at your service. It's not just 
something that just came across some little uh, banner thing popped up yep. in front of them. You know what I mean? Like it's something they're looking for. And through that reference, it becomes a hobby, Absolutely. like you said. So that, that's actually kind of, you know, kind of smart and creative yeah. way to do things. And I mean, that's, you know, that's a good way to do it. If you have good relationships with people who have the same clients as you and you guys offer services that, that you know, are, are supportive of one another, um, it's a great, actually, I had a call earlier with another company and that we're just developing our new channel partnership and we're going to do some things together. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it'll be one of the most fruitful relationships that I've ever built. And so we'll see, you know, kind of how it goes over the next few months. Yeah. Love that. And you said the key component here, relationship, right? Too many All business is who, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's who can get you to where you're trying to go. Cause it's, it's never how it's who, right? And so there's a great book out, Who Not How. And um, I love it. And the challenge is, is that most people want to figure out kind of the mechanism, the thing that has to get done, but it's not about the thing that has to get done. It's about who's going to do the thing. So I would rather leverage a person who has the exact skill set, relationships, they have the exact audience I want, something so that they can bring us more business rather than us saying, well, we're going to go try to do X, Y, and Z things to go get their audience. It's like, why don't I just connect with that guy? And it makes more sense. Right. So awesome. 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 So now I'm going to get into a couple of, you know, a few last questions sure. before I get into what I call the lightning round. Awesome. And one of the questions is going to be, I mean, you have multiple business. So what would your typical, uh, you know, structure, you know, daily, uh, structure or daily planning or whatever you want to call it. What's your typical You're not gonna day like look it. like? Oh, I love it. You're not going to like it. It's because, you know, my company's, you know, the, my claim to fame is that my businesses are run by my team. So, um, I get up in the morning. If, if I plan on working on a project, something that I, I have on, on deck that I want to do, I get up at, um, you know, somewhere around five in the morning. I work on that until about seven 30, wake up my kids for school, take them to school, do that, come, you know, come home. Um, or go snowmobiling or, um, just kind of depends what project I've got on deck. If I have one, um, I don't have a very heavy schedule. Uh, I'll do podcast interviews if I'm doing that. And th then, you know, we pick up our kids from school and we hang out and, you know, we've got sports. I coach my daughter's ball, uh, basketball team, uh, a, a couple times, you know, we've got kids doing sports and, and horseback riding and all kinds of stuff all over. So there's a lot of stuff going on at all times. And so from, 2.30 on, it's like, it's, it's kid time. And, you know, with the family, um, every single night we have dinner together as a family, we sit down all of us at all times, every single day. And, um, that's kind of it. And then the kids are reading at night and doing their, their, if they have homework or anything, or they work on a project and then, you know, it's bedtime and it's back to it the next day. But, you know, the majority of my work, if I'm going to do work, it gets done between five and it's kind of 7.30 in the morning, kind of that two and a half hours is really where I get most stuff done. And then I'll work on some projects in between if I have podcast interviews. And, um, you know, so I had a meeting with a channel partner here today earlier than that. Other than that, you know, um, my brother's in town. So we went and worked on uh, some just updates on one of our rental properties and trying to get a project uh, finished there. And that's, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, if I'm not snowmobiling, that's about as hectic as my day goes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, yeah. that's the whole purpose of building something, right. right? It's building that freedom. Yeah. And and that's exactly it, right? And I love the key component there. If you had to start something, you start between five to seven thirty. Yeah. And what's the key component there? Because your priorities are going to be your, your you know your kids' life. Yep. And your kids you operate around their hours. Yeah. So it works. Yeah, right? it definitely and, works. And, and and you know what? 
it goes to show that sometimes early mornings are the best way to start. And then the rest of the day, you can do what you need to do. Yeah. And I'm, and you know, I'm not a morning person, so it's still to this day, I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and it's still a, still a challenge to me, uh, that I get up, you know, early and it's like, I just get at it and I sit down and I just do what I need to get done. I kind of work in that, in that window, I work on one core project really, and just do one thing and make sure that if I have something on deck, I get it done and it's complete and you know, that's it. Um, because the rest of the day is going to unfold how it is, right? It's like, oh, guess what? There's a kid, there's something we need for one of the kids. So I got to run to the sporting goods store and go, go get whatever. And that kind of stuff comes up. And the cool part is I have the freedom to be able to go do whatever I need to do for the family. And, um, and so, you know, all of that makes my life, makes me happy because I can go do all those things as I need to. Absolutely. Now the next question is going to be, I'm going to touch upon the real estate thing. Yeah. What uh, intrigued you about real estate? Why'd you get involved in it? And what exactly do you do? Like it's, what's the, your common story? Yeah. So, um, I've always been into real estate. Um, it's to me, it's, it's, you know, what I call legacy wealth, right? It's, it's the stuff that will exist forever that I pass down to the kids. Um, you know, if shit hit the fan and I didn't have any businesses or anything else, the real estate pays for our life. And, and so that's, that's the path cash flow, you know, passive income. Um, so that's, you know, that's the real reason that I got into it. Um, learned a lot through it cause I made a bunch of mistakes early in the days doing fix and flips instead of looking for cash flow opportunities. Um, and now we're just more conservative, much more simple minded when it comes to investing. And, um, you know, we just, we buy investments that produce cash flow, and, and that's it. I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm, I'm pretty boring when it comes to business, you know, business uh, ideas and opportunities. Well, that's the key component there, right? Because a lot of times the, the, the biggest wealth generators are boring. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like real estate, there's nothing to it. What is it really? Let's be honest. It's uh, four brick, four walls that are covered by brick. Yeah. And then subdivided for people to live in and for you to collect rent with. Yeah. Right? Really, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. That's all it is. It's cold. It's nothing, you know, it doesn't change every year. Yeah. I mean, like it just sits there and you just keep collecting for it sitting there. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a very boring investment. There's nothing exciting from it. Well, you it's just like money at it and it just sits there. I like the idea of uh, a football analogy is that um, it's blocking and tackling is what wins the game. Right. And so if you look at a business, the fancier the business is probably the more complicated it is, which means that it's going to cost more money to operate versus if you can be as boring as possible, as simple as possible, you can run businesses that are more efficient, more effective, and they produce a higher return. And so I just think the same thing investments business wise, the more simple we can keep the operations, the easier the business is going to be to run and the more return we're going to get out of it. Right. And the other thing I liked that you said about real estate is the whole cash flow aspect. Yeah. Right. I, I think that too many people watch HGTV and want to yeah. be flippers. Right. I mean, like you watch them and they see those shows where they make money. What they haven't seen is the number of times they lost money doing it. Right. So, you know, like, and you can never time the market as much as people want to. Correct. So it's the, the, the real estate, the winning formula is basically buy and hold. If you buy something today and you hold it for 10 years, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to nearly double your money every 10 years. Right. Right. Like, you know, I mean, at least based on history, now history doesn't determine the future, but based on a hundred years of, of history, yeah, real estate doubled every 10 years. Yep. Right. So it's, it's almost a safe bet. 
to say that. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, if, if you get into a if you get into a deal right and you do the similar deals over and over again, it, it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I love that. All right. So now I'm going to get into the second last question before the lightning round, which is going to be, how do you know you had a successful day? If my kids are happy, my wife's happy. Um, you know, I feel like my staff and my team, uh, appear accomplished. They feel like, you know, everybody's in good, good energy, um, less fires, you know, if there's no fires, I mean, that that's it. It doesn't take a lot to d- determine whether a day is successful or not. It's, it's a matter of the, the health and well-being of my family, number one, and then the health and well-being of my team. As long as they feel like everything's going well, then we're good. Fantastic. All right. Last but not least, anybody watches the podcast and wants to reach out to you, uh, follow you, find more information, where would they go? Level nine virtual.com. So level number nine virtual.com. And my email address is Joe at level nine virtual.com. Super easy. Perfect. Fantastic. All right. Let's get into the lightning round, which is question number one. What is your favorite food and why? Tacos, (laughs) Mexican food. Super easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I grew up in Northern California and, um, Mexican food is just a staple. And so I guess that's why. Yeah. But tacos specifically, I'm a taco guy. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. Um, awesome. Second question, favorite travel destination and why? Uh, we, that's a tough one. I'm a mountain guy. So for me, I like Jackson, Wyoming, um, the Teton mountains. Uh, I really, really love the mountains of Montana. So anywhere up in Montana, um, yeah, I mean, even the Sierra Nevada mountains in Northern California, Nevada, love that too. So mountains, mountains, Colorado mountains. Yeah, I like mountains. Fantastic. All right, favorite podcast and or book? Ooh, oh, that's a tough one. So my favorite book of all time is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that got me started in the whole concept of entrepreneurship. So that's what I would say is my absolute favorite book of all time. Interesting. That one's very, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's more of a real estate book, but it got you into entrepreneurship. So I guess that's kind of interesting. I guess you were able to see the uh, similarities. So that that's awesome. Um, I find with that book, people either really love it or really hate it. Sure. And yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, I've read it. I found it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a decent book, decent lesson there. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Last but not least, if you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? Oh, that's actually, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that if I were to have an unlimited funds, I think what I would try to do with the money immediately is to invest in properties that my children could then turn into investment properties that they could later leverage to home people who are down and out on their luck. And we've always had this this idea of building a community where people can come for a period of time, they can live, um, they can support the property, they can maintain the property, they can you know make it sustainable, they have a farm in, you know on the property um, and they can get back on their feet. So kind of a rehabilitation type situation. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to be able to go buy a whole ton of land that we could we could actually do that and we can execute on it, whether I'm here or my kids execute on it when I'm not here. Um, that's what I think I would do. That's kind of the first thing that came to mind. Amazing. That's actually a great, a great <laughs> idea. I love it. I love it. Right. Like that's, that's a great idea. See, I asked that question on purpose Yeah. that way, because if 
I turn around and say, hey, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Everyone's like, I'll pay off my mortgage or yeah, my yeah, Ferrari. Yeah. It's not what they want. It's just yeah. they don't know what to say, and it feels sure. like that's the natural thing. Right. Where the way I word it, it becomes, okay, well, I don't have limitations. So now that I don't have limitations, what do I really want to do? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> right? So that, that's my uh, motive for asking it that way. Awesome. Amazing, Joe. I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Pleasure. Anytime, man. All right. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the John Papaloni Show.